values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I found out I'm wrong when I thought it was right. It's always the same. It's just a shame. That's all. Hey, thanks for being here. I could say day. So let's talk about elections. We are going to do our best, uh, and I this, and I mean the entire team, not just this show. Everybody at KTAR News. Our goal is to make sure you're as informed as you can possibly be. You may not agree with my opinions on some issues, but I promise you, I'm going to do my best to give you a broad look at what's happening. And you can go to KTAR.com. You can go to our. I subscribe to our YouTube channel because if you do that, you can watch the videos of the interviews that we do. Uh, we're making a very big push this year to make sure you're informed voters. Um, so I want to talk about the election cycle. Donald Trump uh, swept South Carolina. I think it was a 20-point victory in the home state of Nikki Haley. What does that mean? She's got big donors now that are pulling away. She says she's not leaving. She's counting on Super Tuesday. Um, so we'll, I mean, I guess we'll see. I don't want to ever not give somebody a chance. I've seen too many people recover. But this still looks like Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. Now, here's another thing on the, on the other side of that. One-third of voters say said that a felony conviction of some kind would make them turn away. Now, how accurate that is, I don't know. You understand there is a reality. Democrats don't want Biden to run. Republicans don't want Trump to run. Some of them is what I'm saying. Some of them, a significant number of people are saying we would rather have other choices. Now, Donald Trump is running away with the nomination in the Republican Party. There's no denying that. If he is the nominee, Republicans are going to vote for him. If Joe Biden is the nominee, it doesn't matter what's been said, convincing or otherwise, about his ability to do the job for four more years. Democrats will vote for him. What are the independents going to do? What will those people do? That's the big question. And this is a little insight into some of that. Um, uh, President Biden's job, job approval nears a record low. As so nearly and I'm going to give you some numbers, nearly 60 percent of Americans disapprove of Joe Biden's performance, while nearly 70 percent disapprove of his handling on immigration, according to these recent polls. The biggest issues for the American people right now are inflation. And I would say economy, the economy as a whole would be, but especially inflation and the border has become not just a local issue anymore. New York, it's a huge issue. That is a very liberal stronghold in the state of New York and the city of New York. Um, Massachusetts, Chicago, um, Washington, D.C., Denver, Colorado, and all of these places are dealing with huge numbers. San Diego, California, they've just released hundreds of migrants at a bus stop. Just let them go because they ran out of money to help them. So now... Uh, NGOs or non-governmental organizations, charitable organizations are now going to have to absorb those people. Where will they end up? If it's cheaper to bust them somewhere and those people say, I want to go to, let's use Massachusetts as an example. I want to go to Massachusetts because Massachusetts has a guaranteed shelter law and I know I'm going to get a place to sleep there. So all of this plays into the political landscape. Um, there has been, this is what is to me, and I'm, I watch... I watch politics like I like sports. I have, um, you know, I have my, I'm, I'm a Miami Hurricane, so I'm invested when the Hurricanes are playing, but I love the game of football. I'm a Cardinals fan, um, but I'm invested. I thought the Super Bowl was a great game. 
I watch politics the same way. I have my leanings and I have my preferences, but watching the game itself to me is fascinating. And as you watch the political landscape in America and what's happening, you've got two people running for the highest office, I would say the highest office in the world, certainly the most powerful. And both of them come with will be by November will be about four years of a resume and their performance in the job. And they both come with enormous baggage. Which one will the American people decide if it's those two is the most qualified to run the government for the four years to follow? And the fact that it's a toss up, I've said this, I'm going to say it one more time. If you're a Democrat, a loyal Democrat, I know that you're exasperated that anybody in the world would vote for Donald Trump. But isn't it odd, as flawed and as horrible as you believe Donald Trump is, as a human being and as a president, that he's got a really good chance of winning? What does that say? Forget what it says about Republican voters. What does it say about your candidate and a different option? If that if former President Trump is as horrible as a human being and as a president as you believe he is, how could it be close? Why wouldn't it be that he's just it's a walkover for the Democratic candidate? That should be your biggest concern. And conversely, if you are a loyal Republican and you see the border numbers, the millions of people that have come here illegally, the fentanyl numbers, the hundred thousand plus unaccompanied minors that they cannot find just on the border issue itself. When it comes to inflation, we're going to see new inflation numbers and it's staying very sticky. It's not dropping like they said. Interest rates cuts may not be coming nearly as soon as they believe. If you see all of that happening and you say to yourself, the two places that America is most concerned about are the two places where the, the current president does the worst in polling with voters. And it's even close. How could it be close? Why is it even close? It shouldn't be. Should be a walkover for whoever the Republican candidate is, right? Well, it isn't. And the American people have a big decision to make. Who is going to be the person that the American public believes is most qualified? Now, we can talk. I I don't talk about election integrity in the sense of stolen elections and fraudulent votes. I don't go down that road. I've talked about this at length about the audit and everything else in Arizona. But what about the numbers in Arizona? Because President Biden won Arizona, first time since Bill Clinton won Arizona, that a Democrat has won Arizona. And people said, well, that's Arizona turning purple and Well, okay. if that's the truth, then why is it that Donald Trump is winning Arizona right now if it's so purple? You know, the the numbers say that more people are moving to Arizona from California, which would make it more purple, I would guess. And yet, if you also look, the big surprise with Democrats is that Donald Trump is becoming popular with more and more African-American voters, and they can't figure out why that is either. I guess the point I'm making without I'm trying to give both sides of this is that both candidates have a resume that you can look at. 
What has President Biden done well in the, in the four years at the end of this year? What has he done well in his presidency? And if you're somebody, I don't care what political leanings you are, what has he done well? If you're an environmentalist, you give him an A plus for environmentalism, for the push toward green energy and the Green New Deal and EVs and, and solar and wind. You're, you're going to give him an A plus on that. Um, what what is it about the Trump presidency that wish you wish you could have back? Low inflation, the fact that we didn't have any inflation during that time when he was in office. Then you've got to talk about government spending. But the issue here is we're not going to talk about issues. In the end, this is one of those elections where how much of it's going to be about the issues in the minds of voters? What do you think you're going to see when the television ads start running? When you hear the uh, the radio ads here on this station, is it going to be about the great things that Joe Biden has done? Is it going to be about the great things that Donald Trump has done when he was in office? Or is this going to be each side talking about how evil and horrible and the death of the country comes if that other person wins? Which do you think it's going to be? I just I wonder. I wonder how this is going to play out. It's going to be ugly. I just believe it's going to be ugly. In a moment, um, we're going to talk about the economy. Arizona is expected to continue its massive growth. We'll give you details about our economy coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Happy Monday from the Mike Broomhead Show. We appreciate you being with us. Um, Cities with the fastest growing home prices in Arizona, and it gives you the top 50, which I'm not going to do. But if I move to the last page, number one, I don't think would surprise anybody. It's Paradise Valley. Um, But you also look at some other Valley cities who round out these top numbers. Cave Creek at number two, Carefree at number three, Fort McDowell at number four, Happy Jack, New River at number six. Uh, These are all interesting Valley cities. My point is we are seeing growth. Home prices don't go up if we aren't seeing people with money moving in or more higher paying jobs to allow for that growth. That's just part of it. It's all supply and demand. The people moving from California, you understand home prices in California outrageously more expensive. I have friends from California who came here and couldn't believe it when they sold their place in California. They paid cash for a house in Arizona the same size. So that we are seeing growth. That's good for most of us. I understand that there are growing pains with people that are not making that kind of money trying to, which leads me to the next point. Arizona is expected to add 100,000 new jobs between now and 2025. It's expected that they will, uh, according to the report, this is a pretty specific projection, 102,656 new jobs by 2025. The anticipated growth in 10 of the 11 tracked sectors, but these numbers for each remain moderate due to the cost of financing and consequences. So Arizona is looking at seeing manufacturing leads the list, which again is a, is a, a more high, higher paying job than we've seen in the past. Tech manufacturing, construction, was projected to add 14,288 jobs, making it a 3.3% increase, but they represent a slowdown of what we've seen in the past, but construction continues. And, you know, driving around, um, I, I drove up to Anthem, and when you see the expansion of TSMC, that's the one that, you know, it's the west side of the I-17 at the 303, 
But when you look around at what's been built and what is being built in that part of the state, I've been here for 29 years, and it's unbelievable how much growth we've seen. And the expansion of the I-17 is proof of that, the need to expand the 17 even further north. When we look at how our economy is doing and how it's ha- – I, I just know that intellectually people understand this didn't happen by accident. That there was a concerted effort by a lot of people to diversify our economy. But what were the things that worked? How did Arizona entice business to come here? Because that's a big part of it. I will tell you that um, advertising matters. And I'm not just saying that because I'm in this business where your advertising dollars pay my salary. Advertising matters. It doesn't matter how great your your product is. I had a friend who they changed the name. Um, it was interesting. Um, uh, Arizona Christian University used to be called Southwestern. Actually, the full name was Southwestern uh, Baptist Bible College, I think was what the name was. Um Conservative Baptist Bible College, but it was called Southwestern College, and nobody really knew that it, it was an overtly Christian university. And when uh, Len Munsell, who is the president of, of Arizona Christian University, took over, um, he said he kind of jokingly said one time, or at least I only heard him say it once, that people kept saying that Southwestern College was the best kept secret in, in Christian universities, Christian schools. And he said, well, why are we keeping it a secret? So they changed the name to Arizona Christian University. Um, they changed the mascot and the colors. And the massive growth that you've seen in that university because of exposure of how good they were matters. My point is when you have a quality product, people need to know about it. I don't care if it's a restaurant. I don't care who it is. You need to let people know you're there. And then a quality place keeps customers because you went out and said, hey, listen, you got to try our restaurant. We've got great food. We've got great service at a great price. Please come in and just give us a try. So you hear about them. You say, hey, let's go give that a try. When they fulfill those things, then people are like, yeah, I'm going back. And that's when you grow a business. Arizona needed to tell the country, we're on a new path. We've lowered the tax base. We're reducing regulation. We're going to make it easier for businesses to run their business. We are focused on making sure our freeway system can handle the expansion. We know that the 303 in the West Valley is going to be a valuable artery for commerce, that it can be connected to the 10. The 10 is going to be widened. It is being widened right now, heading toward the port of L.A., where people are still bringing goods and services to and from the port of LA. So you can manufacture it here in the valley. You can do it at a great price. You're going to have a freeway system to truck your goods to the port of LA or wherever they got to go. We're going to work on these things to make it easier for you to make money. And that's exactly what they've done. And the benefit of this is the workforce in Arizona has been in high demand, which is good and bad. Everything's a dichotomy. But the state of Arizona and the workforce, you and I, our um Our skills are in high demand in my world as an electrician. Now, I pray, and I mean this respectfully, but I pray that I never have to make the decision to put my tools on again and go out and be an electrician. But in my day, I was sought after because I was good at what I did as a field electrician. If I were out there now in the job market, I would be very successful because I had a skill set that's in high demand. I had a good work ethic, I got jobs done, but I was good at my job as well. Meaning, 
in some cases where the economy isn't as good, then you just thought you're another person on the job site. Good luck finding a job somewhere else. But you know that when your skill set, when they need you on that job 40 hours plus a week and they can count on you to be there, you set your own price to a certain degree. And that's what Arizona has been able to accomplish. And we need to stay on that track. We need to stay on the low taxes, low regulation, do what we can to continue to foster growth path. And we're going to see success for not just us, but for our kids and grandkids. Coming up in a moment, we are going to shift back to a topic I talked about earlier, and that is crime and punishment. The Phoenix Police Department is growing, which is great news. But how did they do that? When you compare it to what we're seeing in other parts of the country, there's a key to the success. And I'm going to tell you what it is next. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Just wanted to hear the music. Just wanted to hear the music. Very underrated band. I love this group. Love them. Um... All right, so we've got to cover this again. I I am big on policy and procedures. I really am. I think that the way we handle things, it's taught me a lot in my life. Um, I, I, I didn't learn from other people's mistakes when I was advised to do it, and it cost me in the long run. But I've watched this city, and I mean the valley as a whole. I shouldn't say the city, but I've watched this valley grow in the last 29 years. And for those of you that are natives, I love the stories of when I tell about my growth stories that you shake your head and laugh at me because I love hearing those stories. But give me my perspective for a moment. I've watched immense growth throughout this valley. I have watched us expand where we are now growing up and not out as much in the city of Phoenix. I've always said Phoenix is a wide city and it is. It's not a tall city, but it is getting taller. We are seeing apartment complexes. We are watching buildings go up because in in the inner city, it's becoming so dense, we don't have the ability to grow out. And I think we need to take a long look at that. But along with that, the policies that make good things happen. The city of Phoenix has done, and I, I, I talked more about how they've lost so many members of public safety in the last decade or so, um, and how they're now making it a priority to gain those people back. Um And there is a difference with the fire department. um, There isn't the stigma and there certainly isn't the politics that you see within the police department. There isn't a defund the fire department movement. There was never a defund the fire department movement. But that doesn't mean that Phoenix Fire hasn't suffered in the negotiations that happened well over a decade ago in order to stabilize the Phoenix economy. And they have not recovered. And public safety does not have what it needs to do its job. The response time from Phoenix Fire is not about the quality of the people that work in Phoenix Fire. We have the highest quality. And I don't, that's not just my opinion. Phoenix PD and Phoenix Fire are known nationally as elite agencies in the country. There's not enough of them. We need more fire stations, we need more equipment, we need more people. 
The Phoenix Police Department has been making gains. For the first time, I think they had a net gain of 27 officers where they had more cops come on board than they had leave the agency. That's great news to start seeing forward growth. It's not near, the battle is not nearly over. But how they did that, that's the other part of this. When you look at the um, organizations, the Union for Phoenix Fire Plea, the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association, by the way, uh, happy birthday to Daryl Crippling, the uh, the the head of plea, uh, his birthday today. Um, when you look at what they've done in fostering uh, good reputations and fostering a solid base of officers that are united together and doing a good job where their training is at the highest level, their skill levels at the highest level. And now you translate that into a relationship, not just with police management. And there is always going to be some kind of an adversarial relationship between management and the rank and file workers, and it's supposed to be that way. Not in the negative, I mean this in a positive way, that there is always supposed to be somebody looking out for the workers and somebody out there in management saying, this is what we need to accomplish, how do we do it together? So there is that relationship that's there. But it's also city management. When you've got the city manager and the city attorney and the city council, when you are seeing a unified front in saying we have got an elite police department that is self-assessing and self-correcting and we are not going to cave into a, um, a consent decree – with the federal government just because you say you want one. That's not happening. We think that this can be done in a better way. And I look at that and I think that sends such a great message to the officers in the city of Phoenix that it tells them you're going to be held accountable, but we believe you are really good at what you do. That as an agency, you're not flawed. As an agency, as a profession, you aren't a suspect just because you do the job. The analogy I've used in the past is teachers because I believe that they're viewed kind of the same way. It's more of a vocation than it is a career. And we watch in horror as teachers have abused their relationships and their power with students. We've seen teachers, both men and women, get involved with both boys and girls that are under their care. As teachers, as educators, we've seen it happen multiple times, sometimes in multiple in multiple times in a specific district where teachers have abused their relationships with students and it's become physical. It's become sometimes texts and pictures and inappropriate behavior, but it happens. I've never myself and I've been very critical of education. I've never once called it a systemic problem, nor insinuated that there is a huge number, if not all of the people that go in to be teachers are there so that they can prey upon children. But somehow in this country, there has been a narrative that permeates that when a cop does the wrong thing, it's a blight on the entire department and the entire profession. It's an indicator. It's indicative of how they all behave and how they all think. And if not all it is rare that it's the other way around. You will hear some people say, yes, there are some cops that do the right thing, but they're power hungry, they're abusive, they're violent. They're, well, no, they're not. That is a very small number of people that shouldn't be doing that job like in any other job. And the tables are turning in city leadership. 
Different sets of problems in public safety for why Phoenix Fire isn't funded to the degree it needs to be and it needs to grow dramatically and quickly. Same with Phoenix PD. But in order to recruit qualified people that would do that job, it is about respect, which is what I talked about earlier. Think about the job you do and who you work for. If you're driving around right now and you work for a company, you're in sales or you're a service person, you know, you're going out and fixing things for people, whatever it is, whoever you work for, do you believe you're paid enough? I would guarantee you that 99.9% of people would say, I'm a little bit underpaid. They, I, I, I'm underpaid. I, matter of fact, I am gonna, in my next review, I'm asking for a raise because I want more money. But isn't it more about being appreciated? If your boss, if your employer, if your supervisor respects what you do, if they treat you like a human being, if they speak to you with respect, if they tell you that they appreciate the work that you do, how much further does that go in your daily satisfaction with your job? To know that at the end of the day, your bosses appreciate, you don't have to babysit me, I turn in my paperwork, I get things done, you don't have to follow me around, I'm a reliable employee. And when you as a boss go to your employees and say, thank you, I appreciate that, that's a great job, it goes a long way. So it's not just about the money you make, it's about being respected by your bosses. In the police department, that transcends police management. That moves into the city. When you have a city council or a city attorney or a city manager that is very suspicious of your behavior and you must prove where you are, if you have an employer that wants you to account for every minute of every day and what you've done, as opposed to here's your assignment, get it done. Hey, thanks for the good job. Who do you want to work for? When they, when they are initially suspicious until proven otherwise, it's damaging the morale. Thankfully, I think in the city of Phoenix, that corner has been turned. Now, it's not completely gone, but I do think there's more trust from city management in the ability of Phoenix Police Department leadership to lead an agency to continue to be elite. And I think that's why we're seeing this corner turn, and I'm happy about it. In a moment, we're going to talk about the border. We can't deport Venezuelan migrants, and I'll tell you why, and the answer is going to upset you. We'll get to that coming up in just a moment. Reminds me, coming up at 11.05, we are going to speak with Ta Captain Thomas Deegan. USS Arizona nuclear submarine is under construction right now, carrying on the legacy of the USS Arizona. We are going to speak with the captain of the ship. Pretty good. What a great tease. And we're not going to play Yellow Submarine for him. I don't know if he'd see the humor. He might. He might. Um, but anyway, we're going to talk with him at 11.05, a great event uh, kicking this off and the commemoration of USS Arizona that's happening. We'll have a conversation at 11.05 about that. Before we get to that, um, the conversation about the border continues. Um, I mentioned earlier almost 70 percent, just under 70 percent of the American public believe that this administration's handling of the border is absolutely wrong. Um, the border security is the key issue. The American people now see this as a national security issue. You are looking at – 
it matters to me when it comes to how politically divided we are. When there are issues that that unify the people, it should be unifying the people that we've elected, and it hasn't. So my frustration is with Congress. I'm not letting them off the hook. But when you have liberal mayors like Adams in New York sounding like Governor Abbott of Texas about being and they called it an invasion. I didn't. That's their word. And when you see Venezuelan gangs on the streets of New York committing violent crimes, where there is videotape of of migrants beating up cops and then getting out without bail and then escaping New York and fleeing toward Los Angeles. When you see these things happening, the American people get frustrated. In Georgia, you have somebody that was arrested in New York, now has been arrested and charged with murder of a girl in Georgia. And he's in the country illegally. This is infuriating to the average American, not average Republican, not average Democrat, average American. 70% of the American people are just under 70% believe the handling of the border. In this case, they say immigration, but it's border security is wrong. It's just wrong. The government of Venezuela is refusing. Can you believe the gall here is refusing deportation flights, or in their case, repatriation flights. We are deporting these migrants. We're putting them on planes. We're flying them back to Venezuela. And the Venezuelan government is saying, no, we're not taking those flights. They cannot get off the plane here. You know, and what's our response? What are we doing in response to that? The American people have a right to be Furious. The American people have a right to be angry at how let down we are. And for a number of reasons, it is national security. There's no doubt it's national security. But we are a benevolent people. I think that most Americans, maybe I'm wrong, maybe sentiment has changed since we've seen how badly this has been handled. We take pride in being a nation of asylum. And what I mean by that is... We are a very wealthy, powerful nation, and we've opened our doors to nations when they are war-torn countries, when they have had natural disasters, you know, earthquakes in Haiti and other things. We've brought people to this country where they have asylum. The number of people that helped this nation in Afghanistan and helped the troops in Afghanistan for 20 years that found their lives in danger when the Taliban took back over in Afghanistan, bringing in Afghan refugees. What were the refugees we have here from Somalia? The Refugees we have here from other countries. Uh, the nation takes pride in bringing legitimate refugees into our country. At least many of us do. But when you watch people overtly abuse the asylum system, when you have got the cartels, by the way, the cartels now, there's warnings that have gone out that the cartels are now committing acts of murder in these resort towns in Mexico that were previously off limits because of the commerce of the nation of Mexico. That's no longer, they're no longer off limits. So this is something that I think uh, America needs to be looking at, the power and the boldness of the cartels. But the American public deserves a better system. You know, we don't want our our kindness. You know, the old saying, don't don't uh, confuse my kindness for weakness. Well, that's what the world is doing right now. The people that would do wrong realize and the cartels are telling people you go there, you say this, you get this. And our government has been complicit in this.
And there is a difference between saying we will always be an open door to the people in need. Give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. We are going to be that. We want an immigration system that allows the world to know that when they're ready, they can live the American dream. We all, I think we all, I shouldn't say all, we want that. What we don't want to see is the abuse of our system with the number of people on the terror watch list, with the crimes that are being committed, with the gangs that are already here. It's an abuse of who we are as Americans. It's taking advantage of our kindness. And it doesn't matter what political party you're in. We're seeing it happen. You're seeing in Chicago the confusion because all of the resources that are supposed to help the inner city people in the city of Chicago survive, that that aid is going to people that are in the country illegally. And they're furious and they're rightful furious. But this idea that Venezuela is not going to take um, uh, deportation flights from America and we're not doing anything about it is absurd. It's the ultimate in absurdity. All right, coming up in just a few moments, um, the captain of the USS Arizona that is being built right now as we speak. It's a nuclear submarine. His name is Captain Thomas Deegan. He's going to join us to talk about a great event that's coming up next.